Welcome to the MindBeat podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health, from sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation. MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MindBeat podcast, the inaugural official episode of the MindBeat podcast. Is it fair to to say that, Lane? Fair to say that. Excited. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, my name is Duncan Young. I'm the CEO of Effective School Solutions. I'm Lane Whitaker. I'm the Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. We have a special guest that we're going to introduce in the next couple of minutes, but uh, you as a listener are going to be uh, coming along on this ride with us uh, as we as we do our first My Beat podcast, we have a nice structured agenda in front of us. We'll see if we can actually kind of kind of follow it. Uh, but uh, you know, bear with us here as we go the through. Plans, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got to be kind of be flexible, right? Yeah. So, um, so there's going to be a couple different segments to the My Beat podcast. Every week, Lane and I are going to start off with uh, two standard segments. One is going to be called a top three, where we're going to basically be talking about. Uh, you know, top three, um, uh, a, a top three list, and then we'll, we'll explain kind of what that's going to be for today shortly. And then uh, we also know that you know, pretty much every day there's going to be different things uh, that you're going to be hearing about in the news when it comes to mental health and school-based mental health in particular. We'd love for this podcast to be a forum to talk about. Uh, what some of those new di- news items are, and, and Lane and I will have a little bit of dialogue about it, and then we'll introduce our uh, our, our featured guests. So, uh, why don't we go ahead and get started today with our uh, our initial top three? And uh, the top three for today, Lane, is uh, top three themes that we are hearing about from educators, uh, you know, both administrators and teachers in schools as it relates to mental health in this, the fall of 2022. What what are some of the key things that you're hearing? Well, I'm hearing a lack of support for teachers. I'm hearing that teachers are also overwhelmed. They feel underappreciated. They are leaving the field in droves. This is putting a lot of stress on school districts and being able to meet the needs to be able to even run classrooms at a high level. Um, I would say another big theme It's just emotional dysregulation of both staff and students, learning how to regulate, learning how to identify when our stress response and and to get back to our homeostasis levels of greatness. Um, And I would say maybe just funding to get more mental health support, which could be coming now. You know, I think we're recognizing the need at a higher level, but I think some schools are still really struggling with with funding options to be able to get more mental health support in schools. Yeah, those are those are great. I'll, I'll add a couple onto those. We'll, we'll actually make this kind of a top five instead of a yeah. top three. But the the two things that I would add to that, I mean, when I when I speak with superintendents and senior administrators, I think the general sense has been that things have gotten marginally better when it comes to mental health and specifically uh, more significant kind of externalized behaviors in the last 12 months. I think uh, last fall, which for many districts was the first time they had actually come back to in-person physical schooling, you know, after the the, the shutdown period, depending on which geography uh, in the in the country we're talking about. I think behavioral challenges and and students' uh, lack of a toolkit for conflict resolution for socialization was a, was a big challenge. I think 
that has settled a little bit mm -hmm. over the course of the past year. But the other theme that we're hearing about is that it is still significantly worse than it was kind of in that pre-COVID period. And so sure. I, I think right now the mindset of uh, most senior administrators that we're talking to seems to be that we should settle in for the, haul, the the long haul. We're really looking when it comes to mental youth mental health as kind of the you know uh, both the educational challenge of our time, the uh, right. public health challenge of our yeah. of our time. The, the related kind of second theme that I'm hearing about is around screening. Right, mm -hmm. I think uh, increasingly a lot of dialogue on the part of administrators about. Um, okay, we know that we have a role to play when it comes to mental health care, but we've got a lot of students that we know are suffering but are not on our radar screen. So I think the next kind of four or five years are going to be an interesting time period where we're going to start to see more standardized processes for mental health screening uh, you know, come into play. I think there's a lot of districts that are doing some very innovative and interesting things kind of around that right now. Uh, but the, the latest statistics I saw were, were that probably 10% of districts right now are implementing some form of universal mental health screening. I think we we can expect to see that go up pretty significantly in the coming years. So those, those would be kind of yeah, the general things that I'm, that I'm hearing about. I would agree. I would agree. I mean, there are certainly others, but that's our top three or five is the case maybe. Excellent. Excellent. So why don't we, uh, why don't we go and talk a little bit about a couple of key items that are, uh, that are in the news. Sounds good. Let's do it. You want to you start off with one that I know uh, you mentioned to me earlier today? Yeah, well, apparently Selena Gomez is coming out um, having been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I really applaud this, that she's, you know, being so public about this as she has in the past about her physical illnesses like lupus. I think this sort of destigmatizing mental health is so important for our youth that they see that, you know, there are other people like me that are experiencing these things. I really like how she equates her physical health and her mental health that neither are anything that she did to cause. They're, you know, um, things that she's able to manage, but they are not within her control necessarily. And so I think the more that we are equating, um, you know, physical illnesses uh, are no different than mental illnesses and that they're beyond our control in terms of the onset. It's really, really helpful because then they're much more likely to get early intervention. You're much more likely to find out about your illness and, and learn how to manage it better. You're much more likely to get supports. So uh, I think it's wonderful what she's doing. Other celebrities like Lady Gaga do the same. It's it's really impressive, and I think it's going to have a, a wide-reaching impact on our youth. Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great story. I, I'm I'm really hopeful that one of the silver linings coming from the pandemic is going to be the continued destigmatization of mental health. And I say continue because I think even over the last decade as a society, we've come a long way, mm -hmm. uh, kind of on that. But I, I think if you speak to young people right now, I think the vast majority of them have a very different relationship with attitude towards mental health care than, than certainly folks did kind of when, 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 you know, when I was, when I was younger. Uh, so, sure. uh, and, I, and I think that, I think that uh, feeds into kind of the, uh, the, the role of the schools and how schools kind of view their role as well. So the one, the one that I would highlight, uh, and we'll, we'll post this up on our social media feed, but a great article yesterday from uh, ABC news, uh, uh, really highlighting, uh, it's entitled, The Biden Administration is Expanding Mental Health Services and Personnel 
uh, in schools. And uh, I'm not going to go through all of the details here, but it really goes through the fact that the Biden administration is introducing uh, $280 million in competitive grants to help districts uh, expand the number of mental health professionals in schools. So I think that is really uh, great news and I think uh, uh, is indicative of the fact that there's federal you know, government emphasis on the fact that youth mental health is a uh, is a significant challenge, and I think we're we're seeing that uh, a lot right now. The you know uh, Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey is the chair chairperson, chair governor. I don't know what the right mm-hmm. term is of mm-hmm. the National Governors Association uh, this year, and he's established youth mental health as kind of a a key priority or his key key uh, pillar that he is. Uh, really going to be doing some leadership and advocacy around. So I think both the Biden administration's activities and what we're seeing from the National Governors Association are both indicative of uh, the the fact that uh, youth mental health is getting uh, a, a lot of focus. And uh, I, I think it's 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 necessary because of all yeah. the challenges that we've uh, talked about earlier. Absolutely, as it should. It's it's an urgent public health crisis. If we're not addressing mental health in schools, uh, you know, they're having very poor outcomes socially and health outcomes. You know, we know about ACEs. We know about the the physical impacts of stress on the body, and you know, the poor outcomes as as people age. That you know, twenty years can come off your life expectancy if you have six or more ACEs, which yep. is not as hard to get to as you think. Yeah, and I, I like this ABC News article. It's got, uh, you know, sometimes these these longer articles on mental health tend to be a good way to kind of reset ourselves and some of the latest statistics kind of out there. So latest CDC data, uh, persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness have increased 40% among U.S. high school students from 2009 to 2019. So that, that obviously is the uh, pre-COVID period. The most recent CDC youth risk behavior survey uh, uh, 36.7%. And then data released by the CDC earlier this year showed that 44% of young people reported feeling sadness or hopelessness during the course of the past year. And I, I've seen some of this data kind of graphed out like longitudinally over the, the years. And, and two th- things that really kind of pop out there. One has been kind of the hockey stick effect in that percent of students experiencing persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness Mm -hmm. that occurred after the pandemic. Uh, So you saw a sharp uptick uh, off of numbers that were already pretty poor pre-pandemic after the pandemic. The other thing that's not necessarily in this article that we see is um, how that breaks down by by subgroups. So while uh, the overall numbers might be approximately 40% of students reporting those feelings, we've got uh, certain subgroups, uh, you know, females are higher than males. Uh, our LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, student population, uh, uh, about 75% of LGBTQ students are reporting persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, which I, I think we would all agree is a truly uh, alarming number. So mm-hmm. indicative of the fact that just as a society, as a system, we continue to have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of work to do. So uh, right. good, good, two good, two good news articles. And again, for all of these news articles, we'll get these uh, posted up on the effective school solutions uh, uh, social media feed. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, social media platform yeah, of your LinkedIn. choice. LinkedIn, yeah, yeah, LinkedIn. I don't think we're on no. Snapchat. Okay, I don't, I don't, <laughs> TikTok, you know. no, no, no. <laughs> You're not in the mental no, health space no, yet. <laughs> no, no, TikTok. I think TikTok. I mean, as a as a as a parent of three girls, if we're looking to meet kids where they are, TikTok is TikTok. probably the place to go. But. Uh, I don't know. I, I have a. I have a. I don't. I don't know how comfortable I would feel personally, kind of going on, 
on on TikTok. But for should, mental health advice, that's not sure. where you're going to seek Maybe, the no, latest no, in mental. Should, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying if anybody's coming to TikTok to seek mental <laughs> health adv- advice from either you, me, or anyone in our organization, I don't I don't know. So, uh, um, but anyhow, you can find those articles kind of uh, up online. So, so I think we're getting to our third topic here, which yes. is the introduction of our, yes. of we our very featured, guest, featured guest, someone who I know you work with uh, tremendously. So do you very want to take closely. it away with the introduction? Yes. Today, our guest is Jerry Barone. Jerry is an OG at ESS. He was one of the first employees uh, to move this mission forward back in, what, 2009? Am I right? And remains today as one of the the pillars of ESS. And I'm proud to say is my direct supervisor, who has really helped me um, really create a PD department that is only in its fourth, fifth year of existence. It's been amazing working with him. I've learned so much from him, his guidance and leadership and just your overall expertise in this field. So, Lane, you didn't you didn't know that we're actually I'm springing this on you, but this is actually going to be a performance review conversation. Which, uh, you know, we would, uh, and, and I, I do want to say that o, OG OG stands for Original Gerard. Yeah, Original Gerard. I love Jerry it. Jerry is short for yeah. Gerard. So, uh, the OG, welcome, welcome, yes, Jerry. Thank you, thank you for having me. This is uh, to be on the first one is really very nice in both yeah to to bring me on. So. So what do you want to know? We're, we're going to submit you to a, a rigorous series of hard hitting questions today, Jerry. I am ready. So, uh, so, so what, why don't we start by uh, you know maybe give us a little bit of a give our <laughs> listeners a little bit of background about your work in mental health and your mental health journey. Sure. So uh, I started as uh, back in my twenties working with uh, kiddos in a residential treatment center. Uh, I knew I wanted to get into this work, um, personal experiences, you know, probably didn't know it at the time were moving me in that direction. And, um, I was in school, I was in graduate school and, um, worked on an inpatient psychiatric unit with, uh, adolescents. Uh, I've only worked with kids since I started my career. Um, these were students that, uh, were in treatment at that time for long periods of time, three, six months, a year. Uh, with OCD, uh, chronic depression, uh, history of suicidal behavior, anxiety. Learned a lot from being there with um, psychiatrists, social workers, uh, nursing, uh, psychiatric nurses. Learned a lot about um, crafting engagement with all sorts of kids. You know, uh, I worked the 3 to 11 shift. And that was an open time because most of the social workers and folks were kind of going home. The only people left on the unit were mental health associates and psych nurses. And so it really gave me a chance. I mean, I didn't know it at the time to really kind of get my my engagement together with kids, all different types of kids. And and you and you had an avenue to just speak with kids throughout the night until they went to bed, which was around 1030. Um, from there, I moved into outpatient work because I just started to gain momentum in terms of like, what was I going to do? So worked in outpatient um, with intensive outpatient settings, which essentially in some ways is what Effective School Solutions is. And from there, uh, we crafted, you know, some really best practice protocols and standards of care. Uh, when you work in third-party reimbursement kind of situations, you're, you have standards that you must follow for state licensing, JCHO accreditation. And uh, that led to the development of a place called Cornerstone Day School. Cornerstone Day School is a therapeutic outplacement for students that uh, cannot 
be educated in their current surroundings. So they would come to Cornerstone Day School, which is still uh, in, uh, in effect today, um, for clinical care, but also school. And I was the executive director there. Uh, originally was a clinical director there. It was a, and it is a fabulous site that has, you know, psychiatrists, licensed therapists, teachers, principal, uh, psychoeducation throughout the course of the day, an eating disorder program that we're very proud to bring in, a really high level dialectical <coughs> behavioral therapy program. That ends up leading to uh, the beginning of effective school solutions. It was there that the group was like, hey, what would, what would happen if we brought these kinds of services into schools? And um, not at the level that Cornerstone, because that's a self-contained environment, but can we push this into the four walls of a school with great clinical staff? And can we engage the teaching and the leadership in the schools to kind of embrace a, a model of care where your students that are struggling have a place to go? Schools have two problems. They have students that uh, are reaching like a tier three level of need for intervention. And they don't know what to do with that because schools don't have those kinds of services typically in place. And then two, if schools make decisions to send out of district to like a place of cornerstone, the idea is to have those students return. They shouldn't be placed out and remain there forever. So they also struggle with having like a soft landing, a place for those students to come back to after they've been successful with whatever interventions they need uh, when they leave the school. So that was the, you know, that's probably, that's my history. Effective School Solutions started about 14 years ago. Our intent was to bring, bring best practice standards into school. You were talking about the Biden article, for instance, like there's a lot of money out there. Let's add more, uh, counselors and let's add more mental health services. But the truth is you have to also, when you add that, add it with sort of, uh, intentionality. If you're going to add it, are we going to put it at tier one? Are we going to put it at tier two? Are we going to put it at tier three? Um, and how many counselors are we going to bring in? And what are the services actually going to be? What's the structure of those services? Is there going to be group therapy, individual therapy? And how do you keep fidelity to that model of care? Um, that's really what we try to strive to do in ESS is to bring best practice standards into school when it comes to mental health. There's a lot of counselors and a lot of schools that are absolutely amazingly talented, but you're not finding a lot of standards for how they're treating students at tier one, tier two, or tier three. Some are doing amazing jobs, um, but that really is our mission uh, at ESS. So Jerry, take us back to 2009 and some of those initial conversations with some of the first districts that we partnered with at Effective School Solutions. What was the apprehension on the part of the districts in terms of implementing this kind of higher level of care within a within a school setting? Yeah, back then, um, the initial districts that were interested in ESS, they were kind of patting themselves on the back because this was their idea. And they loved the fact that they were thinking of this before others. So you had that going on. Their pain point uh, typically was we've got kids that we don't know how to manage and we have students that are out of district that we don't know how to bring back. But 
the obstacle was, can you fit in our building? I remember one of our first directors, <laughs> and, especially, and not and not physically, but almost kind of like right. systemically, right, right, right. Or, or maybe physically, like right, right. Like, uh, is the school going to, or some of our counseling staff see you as undermining their work? Um, is the principal going to see you as an asset to the district? So I remember a director of special services, a really good friend of ours, she would say, hey, it's got to be three things, you know, uh, does it fit? Do you get along with the other people in our building? Uh, two, do you know how to handle the crisis when it comes up? Can we trust that when the time comes and something big happens, you know how to do it? And three, does the data match what you say you're actually going to do. And we actually used to bring her in. Her um, her name was Bobby uh, Stenville. Um, we used to actually bring her in every year for our trainings to like talk to our staff about that because I, I, I love that she said it that succinctly. And I wanted our staff to know that, look, Bobby is saying that when districts bring us in, that they're sticking out their neck a little, right? They're sticking out their neck with their administrators, with their board, but they're believing that what we're going to bring is going to hit the mark. So I love that you just broke it down. Do you fit? Do you get along with people? Do you know how to do that? Two, can you handle like the big issues that are going to come your way? Not the day-to-day counseling stuff, but like when something big comes up, do you know how to use the system and respect the school system that you're in and respect their hierarchy, that you're not going to fly off and do your own thing. And I think it was at that time that we realized that we were a a bunch of great providers. But when you do school-based work, you have to fit it into the school. And I think that's a big differentiator with ESS is that we're unique because we work with only schools and we understand how schools think. We understand the relationship that leadership has to superintendents. We understand the rules that they must follow. So we work our program within those confines, and it's quite successful. So, Jerry, then tell me, what do you think is the most important problem facing uh, you know, students with mental health in schools today? I mean, we know that the genesis and now we know that we do fit into these schools. What do you think now is the biggest impediment? It's early identification, mm-hmm. right? You, you you want to, whether it's elementary programming in or middle school or high school, it's having eyes and ears of teachers, which is something we lost during COVID, being able to recognize what are the signs and symptoms of mental health issues. And in part, teachers have to understand their own transference, their own issues for them really to to not be blind, right? So is that student just acting out or does that behavior have a purpose? Of course, all behavior has a purpose. Our goal is to get teachers to understand that behavior has a purpose and that there's something behind that behavior. So getting the teachers, getting them to understand prevalence rates, it really is out there, getting them to understand what the signs and symptoms are, and then getting them to understand there are some small things they can do in their classroom to mitigate student behavior. Of course, if student behavior is so grand, that same teacher should be able to alert 
their supervisor alert counseling services and say, you know, I tried these things, but I think a little bit more is going on and get those students to be evaluated and see if there's something we can do at a tier, a lower tier level before they reach, you know, a tier three kind of a thing. So, so Jerry, let's, let's go back. You, you just mentioned early identification as being sure. kind of a key challenge. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What do you think some of the things that school districts are, you know, what, what could school districts do to help increase kind of the detection systems that they have in, in place to make yeah. sure that students are are kind of being identified right. and getting the care that they need? Yeah. Two things come to mind. You mentioned before universal screening. And for us, universal screening means uh, having a battery test tool that students can take during a school year to identify those students that maybe don't reach anybody's radar. That's a really great tool to have. Just kind of blanket a universal screen in the spring and in the fall uh, for school districts and kiddos and find out which kids are out there that are at high risk, right? So that's a great way to do it other best way to do it is a lot of professional learning for teaching staff, but it can't be random. It should be really a comprehensive approach. So give teachers the signs and symptoms, give teachers the tools to help, you know, better regulate their classrooms, look at things that like their environment in the classroom, what materials are they using in their classroom, what are their relationships with students. And sometimes with teachers, it's what you don't do than what you do do, right? So not telling a student, take your hat off, maybe telling the kid who has their hat off saying, great job, right? Instead of always focusing on the negative. And it's really important for teachers is a strength-based approach, not over-pathologizing student behavior. That is the worst thing. Students will throw up their arms. Parents will throw up their arms because the same behavior Lane mentioned before, ACEs or adverse childhood experiences, the same trauma that has caused students to evolve their behavior to protect themselves is sometimes the same behavior that gets them in trouble. So the same behavior that saved them during their trauma is the same behavior that sometimes could become problematic. A strength-based approach would be not pathologizing, not rating that behavior, not saying this kid's a problem. And I'm not saying teachers do that, but really important for us to all including counselors, to uh, come with a strength-based approach to care. So I think that, you know, teachers need to be given good professional development. Universal screening is another really great one to do. Got it. Yeah. You know, to your point, I think one of the reasons I'm such a fan of our coaching is because a lot of these teachers really want this and they go to great presentations. You can have a really enthusiastic, engaging presenter, and then you get back to your classroom. And without that support of coaching and implementation of best practices, you go right back to your default settings when things get tough, when you're in a, a critical moment and then go, I don't know where to go from here. Your enthusiasm starts to wane for this and then you're back at square one. And so that's one of the reasons that I love our coaching programs to really support those yeah, efforts and, long term. And we love it because it's it's at that more prevention kind mm -hmm. of a model. Right? Foundation. No matter how many counseling staff you add, and we know that there needs to be more and more counseling staff, but no matter how many you add, if you don't build these classrooms into these well-regulated places where all students are welcome mm -hmm. and that you're not triggering students' behavior inadvertently, <coughs> 
you're not going to ever really offset it because in some ways you could be creating students that have become dysregulated and more mental health issues. Right. And we know that they're going where they have to leave the classroom to get those needs met. And then they're not being educated. And we want them, we want teachers to be able to support those needs in the classroom. Right. And that's when things like higher levels of classification go up. Disproportionality Mm -hmm. is another issue that could come up and all of that. I don't know about all of it, but some of it could be avoided with really well-regulated classrooms. And teachers want this. We know that teachers are really looking for some solutions. They might want to know every single detail about how to behave with a certain student. But I think that we can, in general, with coaching and professional learning, really help them there. And that's just one aspect of some of the work we do, as as both of you know. Right. So Jerry, so this is a super broad question, but like, what's your what's your best piece of advice for maintaining good mental health? Or maybe maybe we let's make it a more personal question, Jerry. Yeah. What, how do you you know what what are some things that you use in your life to to kind of uh, you know ma- manage your 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 mental health and the day to day stresses that kind of come up in your life? That's great. So I would go to self care. I mean, I really do. And a part of our professional learning, you know, that may, really differentiates it is that when you're doing coaching with teachers, you're really trying to encourage them to look at their lives and the importance of self-care. It could be overstated. I, I don't mean it to be too soft. But what we're simply saying is that for you to be ready in the classroom, for you to really be with all of the vicarious trauma that's in that room with you and for you not to be attached to it and for you to be aware of your own trauma, Self-care is very, very important. Self-care can span a continuum of you have your own individual therapy and you're taking care of yourself and you're addressing your own issues to making sure you're taking a hot bath and taking care of yourself and eating all the right foods. For me, it's, you know, the things that keep me centered are certainly exercise, eating right, um, really focused on health a lot and also knowing and recognizing when I need to take a step back and reset myself. And, um, you know, mindfulness meditation is essential. So, I mean, my morning routine would include, and it always includes uh, a lot of water exercise, definitely a mindfulness uh, activity in the morning before I get to work. Um, and then, uh, probably some other things like not eating too much throughout the day. You know, that's at least for me. And uh, so I do think that keeps us fresh and in our heads clean. But even with that, you know, being in a classroom with students that are really challenging every day and sometimes a leadership that doesn't understand your issues, um, that's an additional challenge for teaching staff. Jerry, would you say that being a Yankees fan promotes or detracts from your personal mental health? (laughs) I would say, you know what? I am a veteran of being a Yankee fan. So after you have like, uh, what is it, 27, 28 uh, championships, Duncan? How many do the Phillies have? (laughs) Oh, he went there. He went there. (laughs) So so it's interesting. As as we record this, the Phillies are down three to two. And so, uh, you know, when, when folks listen to this, the die will be cast. The Phillies will be either lost in the World Series or won the World Series. So I don't know how to answer that because if they do win, I would say two. I would say two. two. But, but it could be it could be three. I think it's unlikely, but it could be could be three. So I think like uh, for a Yankee fan like myself, I've seen enough, uh, lucky enough to see a lot of championships, and you don't want to be greedy, but. It is a little frustrating. I think the leadership at, at uh, the, the Yankees leadership, but I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, 
uh, I think needs to change. I definitely think there's a culture there that's been there for a while that uh, needs to change. So uh, it's a little frustrating, but it, it didn't interfere with my mental health too much. When we were talking about your best mental health care practices. Now, the NICS. Oh. That NICS, different, different, <laughs> different, different, different <laughs> I was just going to say, I remember a couple of years ago being on the phone with you one morning and we were talking about our morning routines. And you said, you know what I like to do, Lee? Sometimes I actually like to take a walk in the wet grass in the morning. I was like, Jerry, I'm literally standing in my yard right now in wet grass, getting that grounding. You have to ground. <laughs> and, and of course, <laughs> without shoes, not with shoes. Without course, shoes, right, yeah. Right, now, for some people, for sensory overreactors, that's probably... They're cringing at the thought of that right now. But for Jerry and I, we really appreciate the grounding, the sensory. I feel like with there. shoes, that's no good, right? <laughs> no, Just it get it wet, point. soggy, yeah. uncomfortable oh. throughout the day. Right? Yeah, I think yeah. Duncan's no right there with us with that. Are you into grounding? You like sensory things? Are you like the kind of guy who likes your feet in the sand and the wet grass? I, I, I do enjoy that. I, I, have, I have not, to, to be honest with you, I have not given a lot of thought until this you moment. But I, I do enjoy <laughs> you some get into sand it. on the feet, uh-huh. some wet grass on the feet. Yes. I'm enjoying right now the fact that there is like a thick coating of leaves on everything. And I kind of enjoy <laughs> I kind of enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy that on one hand, and then you realize that from like a yard maintenance standpoint, it kind of <laughs> kind of bothers you. So I anxiety I like, producing. I feel like from an anxiety, you know, you know, stress producer, stress uh-huh. reducer. I feel like right. it works both ways with me. So That's I, true. I do do the Wim Hof it sometimes. The Wim so Hof it, where you're kind of like Wim, Wim, right. Yeah. So you're doing some deep breathing and some uh, pretty intense cold. Cold. Okay. I like that. Okay. Yeah, definitely cold. So, okay. so Wim, Wim Hof involves deep breathing and then immersing yourself in oh. a bathtub full of ice oh, and no. ice water. It's uh, it's 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 rough. I've, I've yeah. tried it once. And it's I, supposed I, to be relaxing. I do, I, I do the I do the cold shower thing. Like I'll finish I, with the cold every day. I can't do so it. So as my as my dad would say, it'll feel better when it stops hurting. That, and that that's how I think about that's how I think about Wim, Wim Hof. The moment yes. that you get out of the ice bath is the greatest feeling in the world because you've yes. just gone from. Being in an ice bath and not being in an ice bath, and yeah. uh, so that that's a that it certainly will get pleasant. you alert and ready for your day. <laughs> I would <Yeah>. think so, <laughs> and pissed off. <laughs> it's can, not for everybody. Can, can we can we say that? Are we gonna are we gonna be censored here? Is that a pissed oh. off? Is that beep? Is that no? Yeah, oh, I think we're good. Okay, I think we're good. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so. Jerry, super super informative oh, as always great. to to talk to you. Um, uh, let, let's. I mean, final question here for you. Um, if, if you could identify one single thing that, from a policy level or from a practice level, that you would love to snap your fingers and you had magical powers that could change about school-based mental health, what, sure. would, that, what would that be? No, exactly uh, what you're talking about or what I'm thinking about. Look, by the time we get into ESS, uh, many of us originals, uh, originators. We had successful careers in behavioral health, and we worked for years with kids that would come out of school, get treatment, and then go back to school and relapse Um, because the services either weren't there or um, there was a lack of understanding. That just goes way back. I think the one thing that I would love to see change is that along with these monies, that there are standards of care that are there are expectations for how these monies are to be sent. They can fall into a big black hole. Uh, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but what I'm saying is you want to make the best use. This is a watershed moment for this country with mental health and schools. If there's money available and a 
high a level of awareness about, you know, students need to be focused on, then let's add some best practice standards. We can do that relatively easily. What do our programs look like? How frequently are they going to meet? Do we have a playbook that memorializes our work and how we do it? Do we have the proper supervision to make sure that our students, as they are getting services, that they either don't need more or they can titrate back to less intensive services? It's time for best practice standards to kind of come along in with the monies that are available. It would be great if there was a mandate uh, to do those kinds of things. Yeah, Jerry, that's really resonated with me because I think the definition of what success looks like in school-based mental health, I think, is still evolving. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure it's the wild west anymore. I think, I think, uh, you know, school systems know a lot more now than I think they did kind yes. of five and especially kind of, yeah. kind of ten years ago. But um, I, I think, I think, you know, we all see, and I think all of our listeners would agree, is that. You know, um, districts exist on a continuum here, and I think there's some districts that are are really comfortable with kind of what those best practices look like, uh-huh. and and some that I think are still kind of evolving on that. I mean, one of the great, um, uh, I think, benefits of our educational system is local control, but I think that introduces some predictable challenges as well, right? Because when we've got 50 states, and in every kind of state, we've got you know you know anywhere from dozens to hundreds of school districts. Uh, everybody has the ability to have the flexibility to do things different ways. And that creates, it's a great, it's a great uh, kind of fertile environment for innovation, but it can also make the emergence of best practices take a little bit longer than, than it, than it might otherwise, uh, you know, uh, 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 kind of would. So uh, yep. in, interesting yeah. times that we're living in here for sure. Yeah, abs- absolutely agree. And, and think that, uh, you know, look, we run, we're lucky. We, we get to run into so many sharp districts that are just like way ahead of the curve that are really thinking about best practice standards, how they do their work. Um, you know, we're going to still keep plugging along and providing, you know, support to not only teaching staff, to school-based counselors as well at that tier two, uh, tier one level, as well as playbooks, universal screening, and then just going right up it. And I think that's one way that we can help, but also really to do just help work with, uh, you know, um, districts to help create some best practice standards for what they already have in place. And, um, I think it's a great time. I mean, it's an exciting time. I think uh, it's not, you know, you were talking before about um, sadness and hopelessness. They're very different things, right? So most of us experience sadness. Most of us experience some level of depression. Hopelessness is another different ballgame. That's headed down a path of, you know, uh, major depression and what comes along with helplessness is feelings of guilt uh, and all the other things that can come with depression. And we're losing many of our youth to suicide as a result. I mean, the stakes are very high here. Not all kids are suicidal. I know that. Um, but uh, when, subs- uh, when mental health issues are not treated for a period of time, it just gets worse. This is not an illness that just goes away. You know, sometimes it'll clear up if it's that general kind of sadness that all of us experience. But you know that it's a bigger issue when it's starting to affect your sleep, your interests, your levels of guilt, your energy level, your concentration. Those are the kids that are meeting all the checklists of that's a depression and that has to be treated. So 
Well, Jerry, we appreciate you, appreciate yes. everything that you uh, do for our organization at Effective School Solutions, and just appreciate everything you've done throughout your career. I mean, you clearly have centered your career around supporting uh, supporting our young people and supporting their their mental health. So just thanks for, for all that, oh, that you do. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Appreciate that. I echo those sentiments, and thank you for stopping by. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Well, Lane, why don't we end today with, uh, you know, uh, what inspired each of us kind of this week? Do you want to you want to begin? Wow. What inspired me? Um, I'm inspired by some of the districts that are really looking now at, at, at getting help and support for safety monitors, school safety monitors and security guards. I'm inspired that they really want to focus on de-escalation, whereas I've seen in the past in some schools that, you know, safety monitors, security guards are really more in the business of subduing. Uh, and now we're really focusing on de-escalation. And yeah, you have to be nice to a kid to de-escalate them. And um, so I love that districts are paying much more attention to that, that they're really trying to get supports in those areas to, um, you know, just to make sure that everything is working in concert together for the best practices for mental health. So that inspired me this week, having districts really, um, you know, ha having an interest in that. Thanks, Lane. Uh, yeah, what, what inspired me, I had a chance to, to fly out west today and visit with a couple of our district partners out in, in, in California. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we go in and do our uh, quarterly data reviews. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy in all of those conversations, hearing the individual student stories, the individual student anecdotes of students who have, you know, received mental health services and have really seen kind of a key change in the trajectory uh, kind of, of, of of their life. So I'll just kind of leave it at, at that. A couple of very kind of inspiring stories that I heard uh, uh, this this week and uh, just always kind of fills my cup on a mm -hmm. on a on a daily basis and really brings it brings it back home in terms of why we do what we what we do and kind of why our organization exists. I think any any kind of organization needs their why kind of front and center. And I think it's those individual student stories that really, in, in my viewpoint, makes up our, our why. So uh, thank you for sharing. And uh, Lane, thank you for uh, being my my co-pilot here in the uh, initial inaugural version of the, the MindBeat podcast. Many more to come. Many more to come. Looking forward to it. The MindBeat podcast is a production of Effective School Solutions. MindBeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or your local health care provider.